Take your Bibles and, and turn to Romans chapter 6, okay? Turn to Romans chapter 6, and if you, uh, or you can, this is the moment when it's okay to pull out your smartphone and go to your Bible app, and I can see your faces light up, okay? Don't, don't check your emails, don't return texts, just go to your Bible app. And, uh, and, and get to Romans chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, all the verses will be inside your program. They'll come up on the jumbotrons. And as always, if you're here and you don't own a Bible, all you have to do is go into the altar room when we're done and just say, hey, I don't have a Bible, and we'd love to put one in your hands. We'd love to give you uh, a Bible. We want you to have uh, the Word of God at home so that you can read it on your own. Maybe you're watching online. Just come down to the church on uh, Tuesday. Monday's a holiday, and we'd love to, to, to give you uh, a Bible, okay? So while you got your finger there, one of the things we do is, uh, you know, we had a big group here last night and great time of worship, just like today. And, and next hour, we've got our group. we got the venue over there meeting at 9 and 11. And, you know, there's a lot of people that consider Big Valley Grace their home and one of the things we do is we have these not ashamed videos where uh, we just kind of pluck somebody out of the audience, if you will, and kind of give you a little vignette of their life, a little piece of their life. And, and this week, it's Matt Epolito. And check, check out this week's video. I was in the wrestling match for my life. It was between living for the world, living for God, and I was uh, about to die. I grew up in a Christian family, knowing who the Lord was and knowing who he is and what he's capable of. And uh, he was someone that I just kind of wanted to keep putting on the back burner. And uh, I always thought I could get to him later. I'll get to him later. And I ended up getting a, a call from the military, the Coast Guard, to wrestle for them. When I was 18 years old, I went out to Rhode Island to the Naval Academy Prep School, and that's what I did. It was one of the toughest years of my life, just being on my own, not uh, around any family, friends, or you know, even a church. And I was just started looking for love in the wrong places. And uh, in a military uniform, it's easy to find those places. You know, I'd be drinking, it would be smoking. That's where I went for love, and I kept getting in trouble. I got in a lot of trouble. I wasn't able to leave the base too much. Um, someone was looking out for me, and someone saw that and kind of wanted to step into my life. Thank God for that guy, Jake. He was the battalion commander of over 200 students there. There would be times where he'd stop me in the hallway, look me right in the eyes, and he'd say, Matt, what are you doing? You're better than these choices that you're making. And man, I didn't know someone else could see what I was going through. I didn't know someone saw that I was kind of going off. I didn't know anyone could see me. And he just invested a lot of time in me throughout that year. Here I am, someone that knew the Lord and, and not investing in anyone, making the choices I was making. And here's someone that didn't know the Lord and was investing in me, being a shepherd to me pretty much. And uh, I never got a chance to thank him for that. Um, I ended up coming home after that year, and uh, I ended up getting into something I call a wrestling match for my life. And I said, that's it, God. I'm done looking for love here, and I'm done making these choices, and uh, I'm done. I, I surrender. I I'm all yours. Uh, the crazy thing, I, was in a, I went to school at, uh, down south in Riverside at California Baptist University on a wrestling scholarship. 
And uh, I found out that Jake um, also was stationed down there in San Diego, so it wasn't too far from me. And um, I thought, you know, I'm gonna, get, I'm gonna go back, I'm gonna talk to him and tell him thank you for all the in investing that you've done in me and for making me who I am. And this time I thought, you know what, I know the Lord and I can share the gospel with him. And uh, I kept put, putting that back. I kept saying, I'll do it another time, I'll do it another time, I'll put that off, you know. I could talk to him whenever. So uh, some more time went by and uh, I got a phone call from a buddy of mine from the military and they said, hey Matt, uh, I just want to tell you about Jake. And I said, what, what happened? He said he passed away. Yeah, he died. And then my heart sunk. Because I never got a chance to thank him. I never got a chance to share the gospel with him, tell him who Christ is, and just how much of an impact he made in my life. I didn't want to go to class anymore. I didn't want to get up anymore. I just felt this burden. And I had a professor um, pull me to the side, and he gave me some advice that I'll never forget. And he said, if you were alive today, would you be proud of where you're at? And man, I, that totally snapped me out of it. And I just want to make him proud and make God proud even more. So I've made it a point ever since then to never be ashamed to tell anyone about my faith. Never be ashamed to tell people about God, about the gospel, this beautiful gift that we've been given called grace. I'm a wrestling coach at Big Valley Christian, and um, I get a chance to shepherd these young boys that are turning into young men, and it's all about life lessons. And uh, not only that, I got a position at uh, Club 56 here at the church where I get to pastor these, these young kids and tell them about Christ. If I could say one thing to people that are watching this today, it would be, don't be ashamed at all to tell others about Christ's love for you. Because tomorrow's not guaranteed. And you never know if you're gonna see that person again to tell them about his amazing love. So don't be ashamed. My name is Matt Ippolito, and I am not ashamed of the gospel. Matt's a great young man, and it's a joy to have him on the team. He actually oversees our Club 56, which is our fifth and sixth graders, and someday, probably not in the, or probably in the near future, he'll be the, one of our next pastors here as he matures and grows, and it's exciting to see what the Lord's doing in his life. Well, here's the deal. Before I, I get into uh, Romans chapter 6, let, let, me, uh, let me set the, the stage, okay? In Romans chapter 5, we learn that sin came through one man, and that is Adam. Romans chapter 5 says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. That's what the Bible says. When Adam sinned, when you go back to the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, in the very, you know, very beginning, chapter 3, when Adam made the decision to blow off God, when he made the decision to rebel against God, when he made the decision to disobey God and, you know, live the way he wanted to live, not the way God wanted him to live. At that very moment, 
sin entered into the world. It brought sin into the human equation. Because of Adam, every one of us has been infected with sin. Every one of us. And sin brought with it death, physical death, and way more importantly, spiritual death. Sin ruined our relationship with God. And because of sin, we're all under the condemnation of God. We're all doomed. And it's all because of one man. And Paul makes this very clear in Romans chapter 5. One man brought sin into the world. But Paul also shares that just like one man, Adam, brought sin into the world, one man also brought salvation into the world. And that one man was Jesus This was Paul's major point of Romans chapter 5. Yes, Adam messed everything up for everybody, but God so loved us, we were made in his image, that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, one man, to make everything better. Romans chapter 5 goes on to say, when we were utterly helpless, when we were just doomed, when God's condemnation was hanging over our heads. We we couldn't fix the problem of sin. Christ came at just the right time. In other words, God's perfect timing, the sovereign hand of God was at work. In Genesis chapter 3, one man brings sin into the world, and God says, you're made in my image. I'm going to send you a Messiah. I'm going to send you the Savior. I promise you that I will deal with this thing called sin. And then in a little town of Bethlehem, at just the right time, God's timing, the Savior was born. And 33 years later, at just the right time, at God's appointed time, his sovereign time, that Messiah dies on a cross. And the reason why he died was for sinners. We're all sinners. He died. Paul puts it this way in Galatians chapter uh, 4. He says, but when the right time came, the right time, it was God's timing when Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. It was God's timing when he would die on the cross. God sent his son born of a woman subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us Sinners who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Whenever a person surrenders their life over to Jesus, God's perfect and holy and righteous son, everything changes. God no longer sees them as a sinner condemned to a Christless eternity, but now he sees them as a saint. He sees them just as if they'd never Sin. One man, Adam, brought sin into the equation. And one man, 
brought salvation. If you know Jesus Christ, that one man, because of him, God now looks down and he sees you just as if you'd never sinned. The Bible says God writes your name down in what is called the, the, the book of life. At the moment of salvation, at the moment you give your life to Christ, that one man, your name is written in this book of life. Listen to what Revelation chapter 20 says. John, the apostle, writes, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That book of life is an important book. You want your name in that book. There's gonna come a moment when that book is gonna be opened. And you want your name in that book. And there's only one way you get your name in that book. You don't get your name in that book by doing a whole bunch of good things. You don't get your name in that book because you come to church or because you give an offering or because you serve in the choir or whatever. You don't get your name in that book because, you know, you, you, you read your Bible every day. You don't get your name in that book because you keep the Ten Commandments. There's only one way you get your name in that book. And that is you surrender your life over to that one man that God sent to forgive you of your sin. It's the only way you're going to get your name in that book. One person. Paul says one man brought sin into the world, Adam. And one man has the cure to the problem of sin, and that's Jesus. That's what Romans chapter 5 is all about. We, we call it the, the, the good news. Jesus is the good news. That one man, Jesus, is the good news. It's because of him that we can have our names written in the Lamb's book of life. It's only because of him. That's why Paul said this in Romans chapter 1. It's kind of our theme verse, if you will, of our series in Romans. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of Jesus. I'm not ashamed of this one man. Why? Because it's the power of God for salvation. It's, it's how you get your name written in the book of life. Why would you be ashamed of that? Why, why, why would you be embarrassed of that? 
Why wouldn't you want to tell your friends that? It's because of Jesus, one man, that we can have our sins forgiven. Now, when you get to today's text, Romans chapter 6, Paul begins to share with us how we ought to live in light of the good news. How we ought to live now that that one man has forgiven us of our sins. How should we live now that that one man has made it so that God would look down and see you just as if you'd never sinned? How should we live knowing that because of our relationship with that one man, Jesus, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life? How should we live? What should our response be to all of that? How should we conduct our lives? Well, look at verse 1 of Romans chapter 6. What should we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. Absolutely not, right? No, Paul says, no, no, no. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Beloved, at the very moment you gave your life over to Jesus, you died to sin. So, so how, how can you live in it any longer? Now, Paul's not saying that when you became a, a Christian, you'll never sin again because we all sin. This side of heaven, we all struggle with sin. Paul is basically saying, look, now that you've been rescued from the wrath of God that sin brought, you can't live in that sin anymore. Because you've died to it, and now God has set you apart for his holy purposes. You were set apart to bring glory to God through your actions. Now that you know that one man, and you know what he did for you, live differently. Jesus kind of said it the same way, just a little bit different. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, You, you, you're the light of the world. You, Christian, you're it. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. That didn't make any sense. You wouldn't, you wouldn't turn on a light and then put a bowl over it. You're the light. Why, why would you live in such a way that no one would know that you know Christ? Why, why would you do that? It didn't make any sense. Instead, they put it on the stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men. Let that light let, let, let the one man who indwells you shine in such a way that somehow people would see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. That, 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 that's kind of that's what Paul's saying. As I said last week, God didn't save you from sin that you might continue to live in it. In fact, I don't believe that a true follower of Jesus can live in, habit, in a habitual state of sin. 
Because a true follower of Christ has died to sin, so they can't live in it any longer. And in our text today, Paul gives us three facts, or I don't know, maybe three principles that undergird this thought. This thought that we as Christians can't live in sin anymore. And the first fact is this, is that a true believer has been baptized into Christ. Look at verse three. After he says, we've died to sin, how can we live in it any longer? Now he's gonna, he's gonna explain this thought. And he gives this unbelievable illustration. He says, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We are therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we've been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. Now, uh, I, I want to make sure you, you, you understand what, what's happening here, okay? Some people believe that this verse is talking about water baptism, and it's not. Paul is simply using baptism as an illustration to teach or hammer home a point. Okay? He's, not, he's not talking about the moment when you're baptized, it's not what he's talking about. He's simply using baptism as an illustration. And what is the, the point? What, what point is Paul trying to make here? Remember, Paul just told us that we've died to sin, so we can't live in it any longer, right? So he's now simply using baptism to illustrate his point. You see, whenever a person is baptized in water, it represents the fact that the person who's being baptized has died with Christ and has been buried with Christ, right? They go under the water, right? They go under the water like a, like a dead person is put into a pine box and goes under the dirt, you see? And then they are resurrected with Christ. They, they, they go under, I've died with Christ, I'm dead. But I'm coming up to new life in Christ, you see? In other words, baptism is a great illustration of how we become one with Christ. So the illustration really is perfect because the person being baptized in water is basically saying when they go under the water, I've died. I've died with Christ. I've been buried with Christ. And when they come up out of the water, they're basically saying, I've been resurrected to a new life in Christ. You see? This is one of the reasons why we practice baptism by immersion here at Big Valley Grace. Because it symbolizes this great truth. I mean, how does sprinkling someone with water illustrate this truth? It, it doesn't. It doesn't illustrate the, 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 the point that Paul's making here. Beloved, when you become a believer, listen to me, at the very moment you gave your life over to Jesus Christ, you were baptized or placed or immersed into Christ that very moment. 
In other words, when you gave your life over to Jesus Christ, your life and his life were forever fused together. Your body actually became the temple of the Holy Spirit at that very moment. Galatians chapter 3 says this, you are all sons of God through your faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Beloved, if you're a follower of Christ, there's a special oneness, a, a, a unique bonding or union between you and Jesus. You and Jesus are forever linked together. So how in the world can you continue to live in sin? That's Paul's point here. Think about it. When you sin, listen to me. When you sin, you bring Jesus right along with you into that sin. Because you're forever linked together with him. You are fused together with him. And that happened at the very moment you gave your life to Christ. That's what Paul is saying here. This is why Paul rips into the believers at Corinth over their sexual immorality. He says, don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Paul's saying, when you gave your life to him, you were, you were fused together with him. You were baptized into him. You, you can't go on sinning. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 gives us a really clear picture of what I'm talking about, okay? Paul says, for I don't want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. Now, look at this next line here. They were all baptized into Moses. Obviously, he's not talking about water here, is he? They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now, what does this mean, they were all baptized into Moses? Well, it simply means that the people during this time were identifying themselves with Moses. They were putting themselves under the authority and the submission of Moses. They were immersing themselves or becoming one with Moses and all that he stood for, which meant that they were going to participate in all the blessings that came to Moses. Obviously, people weren't baptized in the name of Moses. They didn't go under the water in the name of Moses. They were just simply fusing themselves together in a very unique way with Moses. They were baptized. They were immersed into what Moses stood for. The faithful Hebrew that immersed themselves or baptized themselves into Moses was in a weird way, as I said, fusing themselves together with Moses. And who was Moses fused together with? God. And so if people fused themselves together or were baptized into Moses, they were in essence baptizing themselves really into the God that Moses served. Now, in a far more significant way, we who 
have given our lives over to Jesus Christ have been baptized or immersed into Jesus Christ. We've been fused together with him. We've become one with him, which means he's the authority in our lives. He's the one that we submit our lives to, which ultimately means we'll participate in all the blessings that are Christ. In fact, the Bible tells us that we've become heirs with Christ. We have to be heirs with Christ. Why? We're fused together with him. We've immersed ourselves with him. We're forever linked together with him at the moment of salvation. So once again, how, how do you go on living in sin? How do you do that? See, Paul's using the illustration here of baptism to, to, to answer the question. How can you just glibly live in sin? Now, though this verse has nothing to do with water, water baptism had to be somewhere in Paul's thinking, right? I mean, just by virtue of the fact that he chose the word baptism tells us that somewhere in Paul's brain he was thinking of water. I mean, he could have used another word instead of baptism to illustrate the point. He could have said all who trust in Jesus are now a part of his death and resurrection. He could have said that. He could have said all who believe in Jesus are now a part of his death and resurrection. He could have said that, but he didn't. Because somewhere in his brain, the symbolism of water baptism came forth because water baptism is a public outward sign that a person has died to sin and is now alive in Christ. It's a declaration that you've made an inward decision to follow Jesus Christ. Now, please understand, water baptism doesn't save you. It's like, like this ring I got on. That I'm not married to this ring this ring is just a symbol to you that I've fused myself together with a, a woman. I've entered into a covenantal relationship with a woman. That's all this tells you. This tells you that I have made a decision in here to immerse myself in another woman, you see? I'm not married to this thing. And that's what baptism is. Water baptism is this great moment when someone gets to say, hey, I just want all of you to know about a decision that I've made. I've fused myself together with Christ. I've immersed myself together with Christ. I've died to sin, and I'm alive in Christ now, though these verses have nothing to do with water baptism, this past week I, I thought it might be really special if we actually baptized some people, like right now, because it's such a great illustration. And so I want to introduce to you Pastor Scott uh, Elliott, and Scott is going to be baptizing a few people, Zachary uh, Benson and Yvette uh, uh, Giametti and, and uh, Dylan Vermeulen. And here's the deal. We're going to sing a song up here together. We're going to worship the Lord here together as these folks are being baptized. And here's the thing. Pastor Scott, you're not going to be able to hear him. But he's going to be asking these folks three questions. 
The first one is, is it true that you've surrendered your life over to Jesus Christ? Is it true that you've done that? And obviously, we've talked with them, they're gonna say yes, which means they were already baptized into Christ, already. They were already immersed in it, it's already happened. This is just a chance for them to let you know this. This is their, their moment to say to the world, I'm baptized into Christ. The second question we're gonna ask them, or Scott's gonna ask is, do you understand that you and Jesus are forever linked? Do you, do you really understand this? He, he now lives inside of you. Do you, you get it? Yes, I get it. And the third question is, do you understand that you've died to your old way of living and are alive in, in Jesus? Now, you, we, like I said, we won't be able to hear that, but those are the questions that he'll be asking as we are singing this, this great song. So I want everybody to, to stand up, and I want you to sing and rejoice in this great moment for these folks. Let me pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for your goodness. I pray for this moment, that this would be a, just an incredible moment of joy for all of us. And I pray this in your name. Amen.
get to chapter 7, we're going to see that the great apostle Paul struggled at times. The side of glory, we're stuck with this thing called the flesh. Just kind of connects us to the physical. And Paul says, no good dwells in my flesh. You know why? Because it's the headquarters of sin. This doesn't get to go to heaven. I take my last breath, this thing's just going to crumple to the ground because it ain't going to heaven. It's just the headquarters of sin. That's all it is. I'll be with the Lord. So will you, Christian. But this thing here, look, I don't care what you do with this thing, but I'm dead. I have been in a torture chamber for 56 years with this thing. 56 years I've been battling my flesh. Some of you have battled the flesh longer than I have. But there's coming a great moment when you will take your last breath. <laughs> And you'll be released from this torture chamber, if you will. Man, listen, save, tell my loved ones to save some money. Don't put me in a pine box. Don't do anything. Just throw, me in a, throw this thing in a dumpster. I don't care. I'm free. I'll be free. For the first time in my life, I will be free, set free from having to deal with this anymore. Really, I mean, think about it. And it's all because of one man, the gospel, Jesus Christ. How can you go on sinning? How can you just blatantly, willfully say, ah, I ain't living like that, and truly claim to know Christ? So the first thing that Paul gives us as a fact is that a true believer has been baptized into, into Jesus. The second fact is this, and I'm going to rush through these, is that a true believer's old nature has been crucified with Christ. Not only have we have been baptized with Christ, but our old nature, the old man, has been crucified with Christ. Look at verse 6 of Romans 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Beloved, when, when Jesus Christ died on that cross, your old sinful nature died on that cross with him. 
And because of this, you've been freed from the power that sin had over you. In other words, you're not the same person that you were before you surrendered your life to Christ. You have a new life. You have a new hope. You have a new heart. You have a new strength. You have a new citizenship. You have a new purpose. You, you have a new perspective. Beloved, the, the old has passed away and all things have become new. You've, you, you've, you know, you're, you're in this special union or, with Christ. You've been fused together with Christ in his death. And that was all designed to free you from sin's mastery over your life. Now, here's the deal. You get up in the morning, you look in the mirror, and you're going, hey, I look the same. I, I kind of feel the same. You're not the same. This looks the same. But what's inside of you is not the same. I know this looks the same. Well, I looked at some pictures of me when I was younger. I, guess, I didn't have gray hair. But I, I'm watching my body decay. Sin has taken its toll on me. This flesh just decaying, just dying. One man caused that. One man brought that death, the decay of my body. Just, I got a dog at home. Had him for, I don't know, 15 years. He can't see, literally can't see. He's deaf. And I keep looking at him going, I'm right behind you, Rocco. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm, trying to I'm trying to show my family how to treat my blind... <laughs> deaf dog so that when it when it happens to me they, they know kind of how the how it goes um, and the reality is you know what the sinful nature body just going but what's weird and I know I know you get it inside I'm more alive today than I've ever been because of Christ in me now this thing Decay. And someday I'll be set free from it. Someday. Listen to what Paul said in Galatians chapter 2. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. That, that's the old nature. Obviously, he's not talking about himself. He, he literally had not been crucified. Uh, he, he wouldn't have been able to write this. He's saying that my old nature has been crucified, my Adamic nature, and I no longer live. Listen to me. I no longer live. I. You. Me. It's not us anymore. I is dead. Beloved, you're dead. You need to see yourself as dead, but, but Christ now lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. I believe in the Son of God. That's what I do. I'm trusting in the Son of God. I fused myself with the Son of God. I've been baptized with the Son of God. And he loved me and he gave himself for me. Paul is telling us that your old life is dead. When you gave your life over to God, your flesh died and God is making you into something new. He doesn't remake the old you're made brand new through the life of Jesus who now lives in you. In a few weeks, I'm going to talk about all of us, though we're alive, we've got we to have a funeral. 
Some of you have never had a funeral, and that's part of your problem. You've never had a funeral for your old nature. You want to live a life to the glory of God, you want to live a sanctified life, you got to have a funeral. You got you to see a casket laying up here with your old nature in it. The old man's in it. The Adamic nature's in it. It died on the cross with Jesus. You got to see yourself like that. Paul goes on to say this in Galatians chapter 5. He says, the acts of the sinful nature, the old nature, the Adamic nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envying, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warned you as I did before that those that live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Obviously, he can make that statement because if you can live like that, then you've never been fused together with, with Christ. Never. You don't, you, you, it wasn't real. You got a goosebump once in a service or in a Billy Graham crusade and you walked forward, but you know what? It was never genuine. Never. You truly have been baptized into Christ. You're not going to live like that. You're not habitually going to live like that. But then he goes on and he says, but the fruit of the Spirit, now, now that you've been fused together with Christ, now that you've been baptized into Christ, now that you have this very unique union with Christ, the fruit of that is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You see those things coming from your life? If you've truly been fused together with Christ, if you've truly been baptized into uh, uh, Christ, you, you see those things? Hey, there are times I can look at that list and, you know, and I got, I got some fruit. My tree's not barren. But there are times I can look at that and go, hey, the fruit of patience, um, don't, don't have that one right now. Could be the fruit of love is missing. One of the things that's good to do is just to do a little, be a fruit inspector. Check out your own life. Now, I don't, don't check out your spouse's life. Isn't it weird how you can see the fruit or lack of fruit on your spouse? And you think, you, you think you're blooming. Ah, oh, man, I got so much fruit, I don't even know what to do with myself. Honey, it's you. You know, I, you know, I, I, could, I, I could feed the world with my fruit tree, you know. You know, no, just worry about your fruit, your life. Paul puts it this way in Colossians chapter 3. He says, don't lie to each other since you've taken off the old self. You've taken it off with its practices, all these crummy things, whatever it is. And you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. And this is, this is really a, a great illustration. Uh, but Paul says it, it's kind of like, um, you know, this morning you woke up and you know, you went to your closet and you opened it up and you said, okay, what am I going to wear today? And um, 
you know, you pulled out a jacket or you pulled out a shirt or you pulled something out and you, you, put, you made a choice about what you were going to wear, okay? And um, Paul is saying, look, here's the deal. You wake up in the morning, Christian, you go to the closet and you got a choice. What are you going to put on? You, you're going to resurrect the old man, get him up, and put on the old man. You going to do that? Or are you going to reach in and put on love? I'm going to put love on today. I'm going to put peace on today. I'm going to put the fruit of the Spirit on today. I, I'm, I'm, I'm fused together with you, and so, Lord, I'm putting you on. That's what I'm going to put on. You see, before you knew Christ, you didn't have a closet. All you had was the old nature. That was the only thing you wore. You had no closet with anything else in it. You were in bondage to the clothes you had on, so to speak. But as soon as you gave your life to Christ, as soon as you said, Jesus, come into my life, and you were baptized into him, and you were fused together with him, I don't know, he gave you a shopping spree at Nordstrom's, and man, you got a whole closet. You now are free to put on something else for the very first time in your life. And if you would look at the casket every now and then and go, the old man is dead. I don't have to put that on anymore. I don't have to do that anymore. I'm going to choose to walk today in the power of Christ within me. Make a, make a huge different difference in your, your life. So the first fact that Paul gives us is that a true believer has been baptized into Christ. The second fact is a true believer's old nature has been crucified with Christ and the last fact is this, is that a true believer has been resurrected with Christ. Look at verse 8. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we'll also live with him. That makes sense. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he, he can't die again. Can't die again. He's already conquered death. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In other words, if you get included in Jesus' death, you also get included in Jesus' life, his resurrected life. Death had no hold on him. He walked out of the tomb. Jesus will never die again. And when your old nature takes its last breath, when you die physically, you'll live again just as Jesus Lived again. Here's the deal. I'm glad that Jesus came to planet Earth, aren't you? I'm glad that Jesus taught all these wonderful things he taught in here, aren't you? I'm glad that Jesus Christ died on a cross, aren't you? I'm glad that Jesus was buried, aren't you? But none of them mean a hill of beans if Jesus Christ isn't raised from the dead or resurrected from the dead. A lot of people died on crosses. The Romans were experts at it. The countryside of Judea is just scattered with all kinds of graves with people who were, you know, died on crosses and were buried in tombs. Beloved, it says resurrection. 
That's where we find the, 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 the power, you know, the, that's where the power of sin was, was, was defeated. The power of death was defeated when he walked out. It's in his resurrection that public enemy number one was wiped out, and that's death. And it's public enemy number one because everybody in this room, everybody over in the venue, everybody watching online, all you're going to die. You're all going to die. Every one of you. And it's all because of one man, Adam. It's going to happen. Listen. Because Jesus Christ died physically and was raised physically, he can't die again. When Jesus walked out of the tomb, he won the victory over death. Acts chapter 2 says, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And the reason why it was impossible was because of who he was. He was the Messiah. He was the Savior. He was the one man that God would send, the second person of the Holy Trinity. And if you know him, he lives inside of this crummy, sinful body. That's where he lives. You're, you're fused together with him. You've been baptized into him. So these are the facts of the Christian life. Every true believer has been baptized into Christ. Every true believer's old nature has been crucified with Christ. And every true believer has been resurrected with, with, with Christ. But here's the deal. Now that you know these three great facts, it doesn't do any good unless you act on them, right? Remember what I told you a few weeks ago, that you, you got to know what the Bible teaches. You got to believe what the Bible teaches. And then you got to act on what the Bible teaches, okay? And next week, we're going to look at the acts of the Christian life. In other words, now that you know these three facts of the Christian life, what actions do you, do you need to take to live the sanctified life, the, 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 the holy life? Now that you know these three great truths, what, 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 what do you do with them? See, here, here's the deal. If you truly know the Lord, you have the power within you to live a holy life, a sanctified life. In other words, you, you can choose not to live in sin anymore. Now, I'm not saying that anybody's gonna be perfect, I'm saying that you can choose not to live in sin. And next week, here's the deal. If, if you, I've already told Pastor Rick, told him last night, I don't know whether I'm going to get another week or not. I don't know. I, I, I could die today. And when I do, don't shed a tear because I'm going to be more alive than ever. But I do want to make sure someone gets up here and preaches next week because you need to be here. Because you need to hear about the actions. Now, now that we have these facts, these three great facts, that there's some actions now. It's not enough just to, to know it. Now you've got to act on it. And Paul gives us just some really great stuff we're going to look at next week. And it's either going to be me or it'll be Pastor Rick. And if he goes down, then, then it's Bobby. I'll just have a whole 
I'll just have everybody kind of lined up because I want to make sure you hear this next part. The next part's the really just fantastic piece of Romans chapter 6, okay? Everybody in the venue stand. Everybody in here stand. Father, thank you, Lord, for today. Uh, just great music. Wow, just great music. I'm so thankful for our choir and our orchestra. So thankful for our worship department, Lord. Wow, wow. You can't listen to those songs and not just be moved. So thankful for them. I'm grateful for those that uh, were baptized today. That today they got to let us all know that they were followers of Christ. They wanted us to know that they've connected their lives to Christ. What a great moment that is. Thank you, Lord, for the word of God. What's this encouraging passage today? These are real truths that all of us need to really believe. Give us a, a great, great afternoon. Those that will go to prime time, may they have a great time of fellowship and a great time in the word. And I pray this in your name and all of God's people said, amen. Hey, Lord bless you, okay?